On today's episode of Dance Med Spotlight, I'm talking with Dr. Kathleen Davenport. She is Director of Physiatry for HSS in Florida, the company physician for Miami City Ballet, and President-Elect of IADAMS, the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science. In this episode, just like every episode, there's a lot of different topics that we talk about but some of the major highlights, we talk about common injuries in dancers that we're seeing, including some changes since COVID and returning to dance from lockdown. We've talked about resilience in dancers, making sure that we are treating the whole dancer and what that means, including how we maybe make some referrals and things like that. And we also have a great conversation about IADAMS, a wonderful organization that provides so much to the dance community. Check out all of that and more by continuing to listen. Check it out. Welcome back to another episode of Dance Med Spotlight, where we talk about all things dance medicine and dance science. Today, I'm excited for my guest, Dr. Kathleen Davenport. She's Director of Physiatry at HSS in Florida, company physician for Miami City Ballet and president-elect of IADAMS. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So the first question that I always like to ask people on here is essentially what got you to this point, being interested in working with dancers from the physician standpoint? Great question. I love working with dancers. As a lifelong dancer myself, I've had my own share of dance injuries, and I always want to be that doctor that I didn't really have, who didn't really understand dance. And so it's really nice to be able to offer that insight as not only a doctor and the medical insight, but as a dancer myself, having that additional knowledge to be able to help keep our dancers dancing, keep them on stage or transitioning if, they, if, that's, if those stage years are, are past them. So all of those things just help get me up in the morning and keeping caring for dancers. Yeah, I love that. And I think that is the growing trend. Everybody that I've interviewed so far, it pretty much has been the story of I was one of those dancers and wish I had access to somebody. Yes, it's so great to be able to give back to the community that gave me so much. You know, I love, I know dance um, is so positive for so many people. Not everyone, but for me, it was such a positive experience. And I've loved our dance community. And so being able to give back to the dance community that's given me so much in my years has been a great opportunity. Yes, for sure. Let's first maybe talk about what it is to be a company physician for a professional ballet company. What does that look like for people who are maybe curious? Another great question. So it's very different based on the company. So um, I say I, I say because I am the company physician for Miami City Ballet, but I also take care of a lot of smaller companies in the area, freelance dancers and artists. So for every relationship, whether it's a larger company or a smaller pickup company or a freelance dancer, all of those relationships and how your company physician are different based on your company's needs and your dancer's needs. So for Miami City Ballet, that's a larger company, 
What that looks like is they have an on-staff physical therapist, actually a few physical therapists on staff, but one of them is their lead physical therapist. So I liaison very closely with that individual to making sure that we're always on top of what's going on with our dancers. And then we work together as a team to get our dancers what they need. So that might be just seeing me when I come down, not just, but seeing me when I come down for an on-site clinic to take care of them or seeing me backstage if we need to, or working with many of the other doctors in our community who see dancers, whether that's a surgeon or non-surgical issues, we have lots of people that we can pull from and to help coordinate that care, but then also so the dancers know that they have someone that has this coordination. And it is very nice for the dancers to have a point person. Not all the dancers love seeing me and that's fine. They don't have to see me. They can see any doctor they want. Most of them do want to see me. And it's nice. So I always kind of ask people like, who writes your paycheck? Like who's signing the line on the paycheck? So my paycheck is signed on the line by HSS, by Hospital for Special Surgery, right? So Miami City Ballet isn't signing my paycheck. And sometimes that can be nice for dancers because they know that I'm involved in the company. I know how things are working in terms of things backstage. I have the cell phone of the physical therapist to help out and coordinate care. But if they need that privacy, if they don't want their health information shared with artistic, that's their right. So they can still see me and still keep everything private or keep it as communicated as they want to be. It's really their healthcare information. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned an important point there of, you know, this idea of feeling comfortable talking with somebody, seeking out care, reporting that maybe they're concerned that they have an injury, because I think at least in the past, it has been way too common of just no one should know, or maybe I'll lose my job as a dancer. I'll lose my role in a show that's coming up. Um, So that definitely has been an issue in the community. Absolutely. So with healthcare and injuries, it's very different based on communities and different artistic directors. Our artistic director at Miami City Ballet, Lourdes Lopez, has been immensely supportive of her dancers being healthy and having on-site clinic and care. And so she's been great to work with. But dancers, one thing that we don't ever talk about, I didn't even put this like to give you a heads up that we might talk about it. We don't ever talk about a lot um, is medical trauma. You know, people come into our clinics having had bad experiences, you know, and having had bad experiences, maybe coming from another company or even a studio where they had to come out from an injury and they got punished for that by their director. And so there's a lot of fear and a lot of mistrust of artistic as well as the medical community. So I always say I like to meet my dancers where they're at. I have dancers who have come from an environment where they really want to overshare. They want everyone to know everything. And I'm like, I can meet you there. Let's share everything, everyone, everywhere. We don't need to share that, but let's like do make sure that we're on the same page with all the things and meet me where you're at. And I have dancers who really don't even want to see me because I say I'm the company physician for Miami City Ballet and there is such a fear that that information is going to get back. So a lot of this education of like, no, no, this is your healthcare, you know, information. And if you want that, I'm going to help you communicate that back. And if you want no one to know, here's how we're going to do that to make sure you're getting the care you need. That's what's most important is dancers getting care and dancers getting better. Yes, definitely. 
I know that's one thing that I talk with my dancers about as well as a physical therapist when they come to see me where it's, you know, if you want me to help communicate some information to your instructors that you're working with, because I see a lot of adolescents more often than not. And so it's, I'm happy to put some stuff together to help in that communication. If you want us to like collaborate together to make sure that we're all working towards the same goal, I can help facilitate and, and be in the middle of all of that. But ultimately it's up to you what gets shared, how it gets shared, if anything gets shared in the first place with anyone outside of this room. Exactly. And I think as healthcare providers, we can really help with sharing that information and kind of translating that of what that might mean if a dancer has to come out, what that might mean in terms of coming back. I have definitely sat down with an adolescent dancer, a parent, um, a choreographer, and the artistic director and re-choreographed a solo so we could go to competition because these are the moves that are going to be safe for that injury. And that's been very rewarding. So I think there's a lot that we can add in communication and how we can help all of those conversations between the dancer and the parent and the artistic director and the company owner and all of those players to really be a most successful treatment plan but if that is not a comfort level for our dancer, that doesn't have to be included in the plan or it can be included a month from now when, when we're having it then. You know, there, there are so many options in terms of how we can facilitate conversations or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that comment about this idea of like medical trauma, whether it's bad experiences that they've had coming in. I know something that I've heard a lot and even experienced myself as a teen dancer was being injured and going to go see somebody who particularly didn't have a good understanding of dance, I think is more often the case. And they would say, well, just stop dancing as the result. Or, you know, just kind of saying, well, you look healthy, you move pretty well, but as a dancer, I can't meet the goals that I have. And so sometimes generating a bit of distrust of people in the medical community from experiences like that. Exactly. And I can't tell you how many dancers have come to see me because they've gotten through an injury. Let's say, let's say they broke a foot. So they break a foot, they're in a cast or whatever that foot fracture needed, foot fractures need different things. But let's say they're in a cast and they get out and then they get out of the cast and their doctor says, oh, well, you can just go rehab and dance. Dance will be your rehab. And I know you as a physical therapist probably want to reach through the screen and strangle someone who says that. I'm like, no, this is, what, this is my job. It's to rehab dancers that correctly. Yes. And that's how I feel is that it doesn't matter if the foot is healed if you can't get back to dance correctly. Like, well, so what? You know, so what if you have a healed foot if we can't actually go dance that you want to do? Yeah. Um, so that, that whole piece of getting that back, I get a lot of dancers in my clinic with that. They come in lost. They're just like, I, I don't know how to get back. Can you even help me with that? As a doctor, do you even know what you're doing to get me back with that? I'm like, I do. And not only that, but I have wonderful dance physical therapists in our community to help with that. And so, you know, being able to meet people with those experiences and say, okay, yes, like that didn't go well, but you're healed now. And now we can move forward and talk about these high level dance things and really being able to frame those conversations to have a positive relationship with our medical providers and getting our dancers back to dancing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, maybe some common injuries that we see in dancers 
um, and maybe some that you particularly notice a big trend for in your practice? A lot of dance injuries are in the foot and ankles. That's why I kind of picked a, a foot out of out of thin air when I would say, oh, what would a dancer be getting back from? Probably a foot injury. Mm-hmm. And we see a lot of stress injuries. So by stress injuries, I mean like stress fractures. So stress fractures of the foot, particularly commonly, um, and we see them in other places, the back and different things like that. But definitely stress fractures in the foot are something that I've not only seen a lot of in my practice and dancers, but I feel like I've seen more since COVID and since the mm-hmm. lockdown and coming back. Some, even now, like I, in my head, I feel like we should be over this kind of over this kind of like out period and returning to dance. But I feel like there is so much knowledge kind of lost in that um, shutdown period about how to come back. So I still see dancers going out on a summer break, which we love. We need a break from dance. We need to go and, you know, swim in the pool and do whatever we do in summer and not really think about dance. But then that ramp up back up there's something there that I feel like has was just been a little lost. We always see injuries when we have a ramp up or ramp up too quickly, but I just still see more now post pandemic than I ever did before the pandemic. So that's something that we've been seeing a lot of. And with that, I can add one more thing that I've really seen post pandemic. You know, we talk about all the time supply chain, you know, supply chain issues. I would, I'm dying to know what the supply chain actually is. In my head, it's like these little links of an actual chain, which I know it's not, but that's in my head. I'm like, I want to see it because this gets blamed for everything. But this is getting blamed for a lot of point shoes not being there. So I have dancers who we'd spent, oh my word, so much time getting their point shoes correct and now they can't get them. And it's infinitely infuriating. It's frustrating for me, but of course, a thousand times more frustrating for my dancers because they know, they know being in the wrong point shoes is a huge risk for injury and they can feel it and they know it's not right, but they don't have a choice. There's nothing, there's no options. And especially for my professionals, it's not like they can just you know, not dance, like they have to keep doing their job. So that has been a real concern in our, our, in Miami city ballet, the point two department's awesome about trying every other thing up, down, right, left, but it can be really difficult. And especially if you're not at a company like Miami city ballet, and maybe don't have a whole point two department to help, you know, find a different shoe or a different fit. It's a real challenge and can really set my dancers up for a frustrating season. And unfortunately for injuries. Hmm. I could see that for sure where, you know, because the point shoes have such specific differences in their structure from company to company, uh, model to model, if you can't get a specific company or something like that, and it's the one that works for you or the one that has the modification that works best for you, that could be incredibly difficult. And then knowing too that dancers frequently may change the shoes that they're using, it's like, well, even if you do find a shoe and it's like, oh, it's been on back order, let me just buy however many extra pairs. Right. Well, maybe you get to a point where that's no longer the right shoe for you. And now you have all of these extras. Yes. I had that one recently a few weeks ago. So I had this conversation of like, I really think we're in the wrong shoes. You get this is actually an adolescent dance. And you can see the parents are just like cha-ching, 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 like, how much money did I spend? And they're like, oh, we have so many of these shoes. Do we really have to change it? So I mean, it's a reality, right? We have inflation, mm-hmm. everything's more expensive, and now we're adding an additional costs and shoes are not cheap. 
So it, it's a real burden on our dancers and their parents for our adolescent dancers. Mm-hmm. One thing that I think has also been interesting with everything around COVID, I think I was seeing some different injuries during some of the shutdown and immediately yep. returning because people were practicing at home where they didn't have a setup or, you know, weird things where maybe they were doing something and they crashed, crashed into a piece of furniture, not even a true even dance injury. And it's just like, it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. It's like, ah. <laughs> exactly. And so there was this whole slew of different injuries for a little while there. And then, like you said, as people were ramping back up, it, it was a different thing, even from a normal ramp up from a break or something like that. Yes. And I would see more injuries. Like typically if I saw a stress injury of a bone beforehand, now I'd see it bilateral, you know, on both sides. And now I'd see multiple bones. Like, and I'm like, mm, this is, this is just more, it's just more than what I would see. Mm-hmm. And then of course, we need to talk about the emotional distress. So coming back out of a lockdown, having felt like a lot of dancers have lost time and some of them just flat out have lost a year, you know, like there's mm-hmm. no sugarcoating it. I'd love to, and there's so many positive things we talk about that happened during the year, but that was not a planned year, you know, hiatus to, right. to have a career and a short career. Um, and then coming back that extra emotional angst of having more time lost, you know, that piece, I think sometimes mm-hmm. We, we need to also make sure we're acknowledging and honoring because that is an extra burden to, to an already devastating injury when we have to take the time off. Definitely. And that's one of those components of just whole dancer health that can affect any sort of recovery process too. Absolutely. And so talking about that whole dancer, you know, when we have a dancer with, let's say a foot injury, since we have that commonly I find it very important to also check in and talk about when do we bring in sports psychology? A lot of times if we're going to have any time off dance, I love to check in. Do you already have a psychologist? Can we add one in? And, you know, let's see where we're going with that because that mental health burden is so important to make sure that we're not, again, getting someone back from their foot, but then, and then what, you know, Mm -hmm. are we dancing? Are we enjoying dance? Are we loving it? You know, are all these great things that dance can bring all these joys and happiness? Are we capitalizing on those happy things? You know, so many times, like with this podcast, we get folks, ah, the injuries and ah, the mental health. But the truth of the matter is we're here to work with dancers because this is great. You know, it's so exciting. It's so much fun. It's so much joy. But we can forget that and lose that in the middle of a shutdown or an injury or things like that. It can be really, really hard sometimes to remember all those things we just love about dance when we get in the midst of something that either takes that away or modifies it in a way that we weren't expecting. Mm -hmm. One thing I've noticed and experienced myself too as a young injured dancer is I I think there's something that may be a bit more unique to dance and performing arts versus maybe some of our other sports because there is that self-expression and, you know, there's this whole emotional performance, all those kinds of things, piece to what they do, not just the physical aspect of it. When dancers are 
out for a bit because of injury or pain, it can really take a toll on them because it is part of their identity. I know for me, it's a stress reliever for me. You know, I'm not feeling great about something and that's when I decide to go take a dance class. And so if you don't have that, dancers don't necessarily always have like the backup option if dance isn't an option for them at the moment for dealing with stuff like that. And just as you said, so many dancers, dance checks so many check boxes, right? You know, we have a cardio, we have the balance, we have the emotional health, we have the expression. So a lot of times when dancers discover dance and how amazing it is, it's very easy, guilty as charged, to not need the other things or feel like you don't need the other things. We do need them, but you feel like you don't because dance that does make you feel so much better. I'm with you. I'll always like have a bad day and then I'll come back from my dance class and I'm like, better day. It's mm-hmm. a good day now. So all of those great things so that when that is taken away, that's it because it was checking so many check boxes. Now we're like, oh no, well, you know, now I have to fill in this with this and this with this. Now we have to have 10 different things to check that one big checkbox. And sometimes we don't even know where to start. It can be very mm-hmm. overwhelming because there are so many pieces that we need to build back together to make sure that we can get back to that big happy checkbox that dance can provide. Mm-hmm. Thinking about bringing in somebody like a sports psychologist, How do you present that option and that referral for dancers? Because they may hear that word psychologist and immediately go, wait, are you saying I'm crazy? Do you think I need, you know, there are lots of places they could take that and maybe just have a a poor connotation of what that means for them. Great question. A lot of it is know thy audience. So sometimes I don't bring it up. Like I should, should everyone, but if you have a feeling with a dancer or a parent or someone like this just isn't going to go well. Like there's just no, no point bringing something up if it's going to be a hard wall. And I will bring something up like, how are you doing with your mental health? You know, how are your stress level? Oh, being out of an injury is super stressful. How are you coping? So maybe I'll like do a little pinky toe in there and just check in on stress levels because that tends to be one of the more baby things. However, I am not shy at all about saying flat out, have you worked with a sports psychologist before? And typically, I don't usually just jump in like that. Typically, how I'll I'll walk into that um, is I'll say, you know, anytime that we're out of any kind of physical activity, dance or my soccer players or any kind of activity at all, it's really hard emotionally. And they're actually people who specialize in this, you know, in their world, this is all they do is they work with people who are not doing something they want to do. And they're called sports psychologists. And now it's like such a big thing. You talk to any professional athlete, like your football players and your baseball players, they all have their sports psychologists. And so I do have someone if you want to talk to them. And that's how I'll usually bring it in. That's my little monologue that I usually bring in. And a lot of times the parents are like, I'll take it. And so if I'm mm-hmm. coming into adolescence, and a lot of times my professional dancers are like, oh, I'll think about that. Or even better, a lot of them will say, oh, I actually have a therapist or a psychologist who I already talked to. Thank you so much for that person. Is it really going to be something that different? And then I can say, they might have something different, but check with your therapist who you already have a relationship first. Check with your psychologist who you're already working with because they've known you for so long and they might be able to help you with this piece of the puzzle. And so that's a great way to, for me to know that they're already caring for their mental health 
in a lot of ways and then giving them all my resources that I can offer, but not overburdening them. And I think that's one thing that we have to be careful when we talk about like resilience practices, like physical therapy, adding in physical resilience or a psychologist, adding in mental resilience, that we do want to make sure we're talking about it as optimizing what they're doing rather than adding more things. Because then sometimes I don't get so much buy-in or I get a little shutting down and just like, oh my word, one more thing to do. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're already doing all the right things. We're just trying to optimize what you're doing and level it up, that kind of language. So it doesn't sound like adding more and more to a busy schedule. Yes, because we know dance dance is a busy thing. It is time consuming. There isn't much as far as off season a lot of times, or it looks very different than other activities or jobs that people may have. Um, so yeah, that approach is really important in presenting it. Yeah, I talk to my dancers a lot when, for example, if they're doing physical therapy, I'll say, okay, let's talk about these exercises now. It's really important to do your exercises lifelong. And I'll say, but I understand you might not have 20 minutes you're not using in your day. So can you do five minutes in between bar and center? Can you do one exercise? If, you're, if, if your dance teacher tells you to stretch, maybe that's the time you should do those hip strengthening exercises, all those things, which I know I'm sure you always go through that with your dancers as well. Mm -hmm. And that's what I also try to reiterate for to be a whole team together with my PTs and my mental health and my psychologists so that we're focusing on some of these things being in the gaps in their day and mm -hmm. contributing and supporting their day. I was recently talking with one of my physical therapists at HSS actually, and he works with a lot of dancers, but he's the first to tell you he's not like a dance medicine person, but he worked at an institute that was like all kid sport, you know, a lot of tennis, a lot of baseball, some uh, more dance, but that, and he was saying that they finally got a lot of buy-in with things like physical therapy and they had a sports psychologist there when they just put it on the kid's schedule because it was one of these like intense camps as part of tennis, you know, so this is like tennis psych, tennis training, you know, it's all under tennis training instead of being something other. And I think that's what we really focus on is this is our dance physical therapy to do our dance strengthening. You know, these are our dance mental health skills so that we're better performers, you know, and yes, mm -hmm. we're also better human beings, but <laughs> more, more in tune with ourselves. But that's how I like to try and bring all of those things together for my dancers. Yeah. And I like that even like labeling it that it is dance whatever so that it there's that visual cue too and reminder of remember this is helping your dancing and all part of the process essentially. Absolutely. Because that's why our dancers dance is because they love dance. So um, unfortunately, they don't come to a doctor because they love doctors. So they don't come to physical therapists because they love therapy. Exactly. It's all because we want to get them dancing. So anything that we can do, and I'll say this all the time with physical therapy, when I'm trying to get some buy-in for physical therapy, I'll say, you know, I really don't want to get you back to where you came from because you got injured. I really want to get you stronger so that then your dancing will be stronger and your balance is going to be better and your flexibility is going to be with strength, you know, rather than whacking things, you can really hold the leg up there better. So really tying things back to our dancers, uh, what they love, to their first love of dance, that, that tends to be the most successful in terms of short-term and long-term buy-in.
Mm -hmm. That's what I find super successful too, even within a physical therapy session of we're doing this exercise because, and linking it not only to whatever specifically has been bugging them, but saying, but it also helps with, you know, you want to be able to do those grand jetés with more height maybe is one of your goals. This can help with that. And tying it into some of those skills that they want to be able to do or tricks that they want to be able to do. Um, sometimes that can be a nice little carrot for them to work yeah. towards. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then it's like, and by the way, you're going to be less injured. Yay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Added bonus. <laughs> exactly. I also find I definitely spend some of the time like you said, helping figure out how they can piece it into their day. Or even when I'm thinking of their program, you know, let's talk about what is your dance schedule? Do you have a night where maybe you don't have as many classes and that's an easier night to maybe put a little bit more of your exercise. And then you have a day where you're busy with dance and school and whatever. You don't do anything for exercise that day, you know, help them figure out where it can feel manageable for them and having that discussion of what feels good for you to be able to accomplish this successfully too. And that's so important, especially reviewing a schedule. A lot of dancers are dancing a lot of hours and it really cuts away from some of the other healthy practice. And the more we do research in other sports, such as baseball and things like that, the more we know how important it is to have some days off. And using the R word, rest, is never an easy conversation at all, but we have very clear data from sports studies that you should have at least a day off a week and at least two to three months off a year. I don't know many dancers that do that, and so I really shouldn't be surprised that my dancers are getting injured a lot because those are the very clear recommendations, and sleep mm -hmm. can be such an important piece of injury prevention and better performances. And so really looking at this whole wellness factor of how many hours are we dancing? How many hours are we sleeping? How many days do we have off? How many months are we off swimming in the pool and not doing too much specialization too early? Um, yeah. And it's really, really tough when we know dance is an early specialization sport. So where, where do we find that balance? Mm-hmm. For sure. And, you know, some of those things that you mentioned, it makes me think of, you know, and I'm not going to remember specific studies offhand, but ones where they, there was one that looked at dancing more than five hours in a single day increases your risk of injury. And then thinking of some of the non-dance sport research regarding sleep, looking at adolescents who got 10 hours of sleep had some drastic decrease in risk yep. injury and had higher personal records that they were setting. And I think it was yes. sprinting and, you know, things like that. And so it's like, yeah, we have so much good data to go off of. So now it's a matter of how do we actually put it into practice in the community? Exactly. And I think little things like I will maybe, and unfortunately, sometimes maybe it's after the second or third injury. I, a lot of times for my adolescent dancers, my parents will sit down and be like, okay, are we dancing too much? I'm like, let's look at the schedule. Let's look, go, look through the schedule together. And then a lot of times as the age, I'm like, what are our goals? You know, do you want to go and dance musical theater for the rest of your life? Do you really want to do point? It may or may not help you in a musical theater career, but it's definitely not 100% necessary to be a successful musical theater. Is right. now the time we say goodbye to point. Okay, we want to do ballet. Do you really want to tap? Like, is this a thing in your life? You know, like, 
oh, we really want to do Latin ballroom. Okay, do we jazz anymore? Like where, where, where is important? Where is not important? What matters mm. now? And it's like, great, we got to experience a lot of different styles. But if we're going to subspecialize, you know, maybe there are some styles that we can just say, we don't need 10 tap classes, maybe we just do one, you know, <laughs> and then we focus here. So how can we modify that schedule that we can keep dancing, but then just focus on where our goals have become. Yes. One question I started adding a few years ago into every intake with a new dancer coming in was not only finding out, you know, what styles are they training in, how long have they been dancing, all these different things. But my my very last question is always, what are your dance goals? Is this something that you're doing for fun? Is it something that you want to pursue in college? Do you foresee having a professional career? And if you say professional career, what does that look like? Are you a commercial dancer dancing backstage or on stage with Taylor Swift? Are you dancing for the Royal Ballet? Like, what is this? Because then that helps kind of direct where I take some of our conversation, talking about what goals we're working towards, you know, it, it gives me a lot of information by knowing what they want to do with it. Absolutely. I mean, this is like making my heart so happy. As a physiatrist, we love functional goals. It's like, what are we doing here? You know, again, doesn't matter if we're out of the boot, we heal the, heal the foot, what are we doing with that? You know, right. where, where are we getting back to? What are we doing here? And then sometimes these moments, as you know, that we finally sit down and they're like, are we dancing too much? Are we injured too much? Like, why did this injury happen? Sometimes that conversation then does flip to, are we still dancing? You know, do we still love dance? Is it still bringing joy? Is it still, or is it time to find a new thing? And I always tell my dancers, my goal as your doctor is to help you towards your goals. And so I will sit there and have my conversation about getting you back to your professional ballet until you say, I don't want to do professional ballet. And then I say, okay. I'm going to get you back to whatever you want to do. But when my dancers do say, you know, I really think it might be time that maybe I don't dance. My next question is always, okay, what are we going to do to stay physically active? Because I do worry so much about my dancers that again, as we talked about, it just fills so much in so many positive ways that then if those positives, are, there are some negatives can outweigh in the positives. That's totally my job to support a shift. But it is also my job as a doctor to say physical activity is really important for your health. So you don't have to dance, but you have to be physically active. You know, you have to keep your heart going. You have to keep our lungs going. We have to keep our muscles strong. So what's going to be the replacement? Go try. Go do 10 different sports. Come back to me in a month. Tell me what you like and what you didn't like. But you can't just sit on the couch and do nothing. Like you do have to replace a physical activity with another one. It's somehow so it doesn't have to be intense. You don't have to go win it. You just have to do something that's moving. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing that I saw at one of the studios that I work with quite extensively that I love that they do for their elite company dancers. So, you know, their upper high school age. They do, I think it's a monthly thing. So they have a set class period every week where it's normally, maybe they're working on choreography. Maybe they're, you know, practicing some different skills during that time. But once a month, that's set aside to have somebody who is still in the dance space, but not necessarily a dancer 
come in and do a presentation for them. And so like I went in to talk about what is it to be a physical therapist for dancers. Um, And they've had other ones where, you know, maybe it could be someone who does costuming in dance or who knows, they're still in the community somehow, but it doesn't look like your typical dance career, which is super cool. Which is great. And again, as we start out saying, so many of us go into dance medicine and our members and leaders in IADAMS and PAMA because of our history of the dance, because dance does give you so much. You know, it gives you discipline. It really has you focus on goals. And it's such a great community to be a part of that it makes so much sense that there are so many of us in the community that are so successful in our careers because of dance, you know, and then we want to give back to the dance community and we love this community. And so, and we love each other as our dance medicine colleagues um, working with each other because we have such similar backgrounds and similar love and, and really have this great sense of camaraderie. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think that's a wonderful segue to take us to a different topic. Tell us, tell the listeners a bit about I Adams and what it is if they're not familiar. Absolutely. So I Adams stands for the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science. And how I describe it to people who are wondering what it is is it's an association for different people from the dance community to come together for best practices in dance medicine, dance science, dance education, dance for health, and then health for dancers, of how we are best caring for our dancers, but then how we can also use dance as a health tool to have a healthier community around us. And so with IADAMS, it is all things dance, but it is across disciplines, meaning there are some other organizations that are, let's say, primarily MD, you know, but then they're treating different kinds of performing artists, let's say, like that's PAMA, which is great for that. But IADAMS is dance, very specifically and unapologetically dance, a very broad term of dance. Of course, any uh, I consider any movement to be dance. Um, so the very broad terms of dance. But then bringing providers across the world, it's an international organization, to have best practices of how do we best care for dancers. So medically, what are some things that I need to look for? From a physical therapist, what are some things that are unique as a physical therapist to treat dancers? Or an acupuncturist, or someone who's a sports psychologist specifically for that dance environment, which is different than a baseball environment. So what does that look like? And then health for dance. So we know there are so many great programs out there. I think Parkinson's for dance um, is one of the most well-known ones. We're using dance as a tool to promote health in our neighbors, in our communities, and maybe in people who don't see themselves as dancers. Maybe they've never taken a dance class. And then we can bring people in and help them. It can be great for Alzheimer's, for memory, for Parkinson's, for balance or just anyone who wants to be active and social, especially for some of the social types of dances. And so IADAMS is a great meeting place for all of these different people who want to come together and support dancers in the best way. And of Mm -hmm. course, one of the most important pieces of that is having our dance educators then take all this knowledge and being able to bring that back to our studios and to our dancers to help teach them best, healthy, safe practices. Mm-hmm. I, this last year was the first time I've gone in person to an I Adams conference. I'm 
even wearing my shirt. I, I was going to see the shirt. I was like, oh, I should have put my shirt on. It's so great. Um, and one of the things that I loved is exactly that multidisciplinary, including dance educators, approach for everything because it's really easy you know, like the American Physical Therapy Association has a performing arts special interest group. I can go and I can listen to those presentations and get great information, but it's always from the physical therapy lens. And so going and sitting in on these other presentations or movement sessions or lots of different formats of everything too, it lets me see a wider breadth of approaches. It gives me a better idea of well, how do I interact with some of these colleagues that aren't PTs, but still are in the dance space? Are there things that they're bringing up where at least maybe I could have a little flag in my brain of, I hear something from a dancer and now I know this other thing exists? Or, you know, there's so many things that I was able to get from being able to sit there and hear information from so many incredible people. That makes me so happy. It's part of what I've always loved about iAdams and some of my most dear and um, ingrained nuggets of knowledge that I've taken from past conferences have been from from the dance educators. You know, a lot of times we talk about like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm the doctor and I'm giving the dance educators information to do the dancers. But I learned so much the other way from our dance educators of how they speak about, you know, taking a movement class with them and moving through and hearing how they're describing patterning the body. It's, I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense. And I can then use some of that language with my dancers. And it's very, very helpful, both the dancers and for me, to figure out best languages, best practices, different ways of thinking about the body, and then integrating together. So I, I, it makes me so happy. And the other thing that I love about it too, and particularly learning from my dance educators, but being an international association, I always get very surprised and I'll say something and my Australian colleague is like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, this does not translate. And then mm -hmm. dance though is such a universal language. So moving through and describing how the body moves is something, or even just watching how that goes, you know, having that movement as a more universal, common, common language between all of us can be such an inspiring moment, you know, at one of these conferences. So it, it's yes. great. Yes. I also really like that it is not super specific in style of dance. Like it's not just ballet that we talk about, even though that's where there is a lot of research, for example, and modern dance and things like that. But there are even presentations on cultural dances and you know, you can, like, I did a presentation last year on West Coast Swing or, I loved it. you know, <laughs> all of these different things that you can get exposure to, too, because it may be that we, you know, we do see a lot of kind of the more mainstream styles, the more common styles that we either forget about some of the other ones. Maybe we can appreciate some of the overlap that happens. Like I teach, there's a program here at University of Northern Colorado. There's a Master of Arts in Dance Education. And I teach a dance injury reduction course for them. Right. And one of the things that I do is I integrate with some dance styles that they learn in their intensives over the summer. And so like they took, what was it? African, Chinese, and hip hop. And so we right. actually pull up videos and talk about 
What are some similarities in movements that we see or technique that's being used, even though it's applied in maybe a very different way, but there can be a lot of overlap across these different styles, which is cool to be able to think about too. I love that, you know, and now that breaking is going to be in the Olympics. So that's another avenue that we're focusing on at Adams and in the dance community. And it's so important because I do think while, you know, I'm the company position from Amy City Ballet, so I love ballet and I love taking care of our ballet dances, but it has been a major focus, you know, of Mm -hmm. both the dance world in the United States specifically, as well as in the dance medicine world, just because honestly, not not for nothing, but doing research on dancers is hard. It's hard to pin them down. And it's kind of easy when there's 50 of them in a company. So it's just, and I think a lot of it has been kind of easy. And so I've really enjoyed, especially the IADAMS community. A lot of us will sit together around the table and we'll challenge each other. Like, all right, great ballet next. Like what else is there? Let's do more research on breaking and hip hop and ballroom, you know, and West Coast Swing. So as a, as a pro-am, you know, amateur ballroom dancer, we were talking a lot about the ballroom community and the West Coast Swing community at IADAMS and what that kind of uh, research and community looks like. So there's so many options out there um, and where, where we need to look for injury patterns and injury prevention and wellness. Mm-hmm. Yes, most definitely. I think at this point, it's a good opportunity for us to introduce a special segment that's on Dance Med Spotlight. So this is the final bow. Essentially, this is the time where People have been listening to the episode. We've talked about a lot of different topics, a lot of different things. What is your big take-home message that you hope the listener leaves with? Great question. I I have to just say I'm so tickled that we're like, yay, different art forms, but let's have a final bow with classical ballet. I'm going to call us out on the irony of that moment. But exactly, love an ironic moment on all things. So we'll call that one out. But we'll say a big takeaway is. full body wellness for our dancers. So mental wellness, physical wellness, and meeting our dancers where they're at in their wellness journey, which might be very far along in a wellness journey and might be a very baby beginner part of the wellness journey and how we as practitioners can come together, really meet our dancers wherever they're at in that wellness journey identify their functional goals, making sure that we're supporting whatever their goals are, changing as their goals change and helping them build resilience on every level, their physical resilience through their exercises, mental resilience, spiritual resilience, connecting them spiritually with whatever that connection may be, and then helping them progress not only as happy, healthy dancers, but also happy, healthy humans. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Is there anything that you would like to do a shameless plug for yourself for? This is your opportunity to share with the listeners. That's so difficult. I'm actually terrible at shameless plugs. So I will plug my organization. So I am president-elect of Adams. It's a .org, non-for-profit organization that does great work um, in terms of supporting 
dancers, dance wellness, dance for health. And the reason I'm president elect is because it's such a labor of love. I get no financial benefit whatsoever. I give hours of my life <laughs> to this organization mm-hmm. and it's worth every second um, because they just do such good work to help promote dance health and wellness. And of course, my job is at HSS Florida and at HSS, we have the Performing Arts Medicine Collaborative where we work together as physicians, physical therapists, nutrition, occupational therapists, really a multidisciplinary team to best take care of all our performing artists. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today and a fabulous conversation. And I'll be seeing you at iAdams this year. Yay, I can't wait. I'll see you at iAdams. Thanks for having me on. Dance Med Spotlight is hosted and produced by Alyssa Arms. We discuss all things dance medicine. This has been another episode from Dance Med Spotlight. The Dance Met Spotlight is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present.